0: Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are continuing our series in the book of Exodus. Today we are talking about the divine hum. Answer this question as you get started. What do you think about when you think about stuff? Enjoy. We are in an Exodus series and kind of how we roll at New Abbey as we get into an idea or a concept or a book and kind of just keep working it until we're done with it. Uh, one time we got into the Gospel of Mark and we were there for 18 months, so we'll see how this goes. It could be fun. Uh, today we're thinking about the divine hum. We're thinking about, some people have called it a holy discontent or like an inner groaning that happens inside of you. That moment where Everything else is kind of fading away and you feel like, oh, that's the thing I'm supposed to do with my life, but you can only hold it for like those two and a half seconds before somebody cuts you off in traffic, right? We all have these different times where that moment comes about and we're going to get to that, but the way that we're going to get to that, we need to talk about the absence of God because we've all been there. Then we need to talk about the need for God. Then we need to talk about these rhythms that we get to in life that we can hear the divine hum we can hear God's spirit, that we can hear that movement happening inside of us in some deeper ways. So with that said, let's read Exodus 2. It goes like this. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. If you remember before in Exodus 1, what's taking place is that the Israelites are in Egypt. They've been there for 400 years under slavery. They start to groan out Right and call upon God. And the Egyptians realize that there's just too many Israelites and they begin to oppress them a little bit more. And then we get some strong female characters who come into the story and they start kind of usurping Pharaoh's uh, rule. You have these midwives and you got Pharaoh's own daughter and you have Moses' mother, and they're kind of providing this DNA and this movement, something is on the horizon, that something is changing. It's the setup for the story of where we're going. But there's this word here, and it says, when Moses watched them at their hard labor, this is a really big Hebrew word. This Hebrew word, ruah, is this idea for sight and seeing, but not like, hey, I just saw something beautiful, like I saw the face of the thing. I saw the heart of the thing. I understand it in a way that I've seen it for the first time, and maybe I've seen it a hundred times before. So Moses grows up in Pharaoh's house. Moses is probably 40 years old at this point in the story. Moses has seen the impression. Moses has seen the injustice. He knows who he is, right? He has an Egyptian name. But also Moses probably knows that he was weaned and nursed by somebody else. He understands that he doesn't look like all of the other Egyptians, that he's probably one of these Hebrews. There's this twofold narrative taking place in what Moses has going on and something is stirring inside Moses and the story's about to change, but something important happens. And Moses goes and he sees for the first time, right, this ruah, this holy, this kind of sacred moment of what's actually taking place between the Egyptians and the Israelites. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. You're gonna notice a few movements here of what Moses is doing. If you remember back, Moses was raised by these really powerful and strong women who were saying no to the systems right? Pharaoh wanted to kill the first sons of everybody, but he had some strong women in his life who said, no, 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 we're going to have a way of life moving forward here. His DNA, the air that he breathed, the people who taught him how to walk and say his ABCs, these were people who stood up to injustice. So Moses already had this in his bones to stand up to the injustices that are going on in the world. And we're going to see these three moments today where Moses is saying no to those powers and no to those systems and no to that oppression, but he's gonna do it in some challenging ways, like killing a human being. Maybe there was some better ways to go about that, right? Hey, dad, Pharaoh, let's talk about some things instead of I'm gonna take somebody's life. So we'll talk about these transitions and this change that takes place for who Moses is. So the next day he went out and this time he sees two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew, right? This is moment number two, moments like Moses is like, okay, we understand that the Egyptians are killing the Hebrews, but now why are the Hebrews killing the Hebrews? And doesn't this happen all the time that sometimes oppressed groups are being oppressed by other people and then they begin oppressing one another, right? That hurt people hurt people. We talk about all the time here at New Abbey. And what we need is more healing in the world. And he asked the one who's wrong. Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian too? Cue law and order music, dun-dun, right? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. And when Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Already, by the way, if you're a good reader of the Hebrew Bible and you hear the word well, you think to yourself, bumble or tender, all right? What happens at wells is dating happens. Marriage happens. When you come and sit by a well, some ladies are going to be coming soon. That's just the way it worked back in the culture. It's a little bit more diverse now. You think about Isaac and you think about Jacob that they went and sat by a well one day and somebody swiped right, right? Uh, This is what is going on. So now You have Moses going to sit by a well and being good readers of the Bible, you think some swiping right and up is taking place here. So now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, very good number, lots of options. And they came to draw water and fill the troughs to water to their father's flocks. And some shepherds came along and drove them away. But Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock, which is like ancient language of Come on, right? And when the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. Come on. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Sorry for the patriarchy that's about to happen here. And Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. That's just the way that it worked back in the day. And Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob, and God looked, same word for Moses' is watching before, Ruah, down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. And we'll get to that a little bit later. So here's where we're at in Exodus. So the first thing that we need to talk about is the absence of God. In these first few chapters of the book of Exodus, God is not mentioned a whole lot until the very end here. Now, if you go back in the Bible to the book of Genesis, to the story of Joseph, it's one of the most atheistic passages in the entire Bible. Almost the entire narrative of Joseph and up to now very much doesn't talk about God which is unusual for some biblical books. And there's a reason for that. And there's something important for that. And I would say for people living in Los Angeles in 2017, we probably resonate with the Joseph and early Moses story in a little bit different way. Because not all of us are having profound moments where burning bushes are happening and where God is speaking to us from pillars of fire. But some of us are just trusting somehow God is moving in the midst of all of this even if I don't see the miracles and the neon lights and angels aren't appearing every morning when I have breakfast, right? So early on in these stories, God's not mentioned very much in the Joseph story, but yet there's this like intuition that's taking place underneath that says, but somehow we think that God is here, right? You have uh, Joseph who should be in no place to become the second in command of Egypt to kind of do what Joseph does. You have these midwives who come about 400 years after the fact, right? And they stand up in the first act of civil disobedience in recorded history against the most powerful human being that the world has ever seen. So you're saying to yourself, there's a divine conspiracy happening here somewhere. Then what the Bible is trying to do for you in Exodus is it's trying to pull you back. It's trying to root you into a deeper covenant, into these promises of who this God is. And it's trying to tether where it's pulling you back to down so you understand that we're talking about a very specific God here. We're talking about a God who creates. And this God makes everything good. We talk about a God who makes covenant, which is very important in the ancient world because covenant is always made by the more powerful party to a weaker party. So God makes covenant with the Israelites, with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God is the one who's always on the move towards them, which is incredibly important in the story. That even in times or periods where it feels like the absence of God, this covenant, this God works and is always on the move towards humanity, which is crucial. And Exodus is trying to say, I know it looks like everyone's being oppressed right now and there is real oppression going on, but there's a God on the move. There's things happening, bubbling below the surface. Maybe it's not gonna work out exactly as you planned but can you engage in this story still and what God might be doing here? And then the Bible is really good at like hint, hint, wink, wink nudge, nudge kind of things. And so what it does is it says that Moses leaves uh, Egypt and he goes into Midian. And again, you guys are all like professional Bible readers. So you think back to yourself in Genesis and you think, oh, when Joseph was sold into slavery, he was sold to some Midianites. So there's like this kind of back and forth going on in the Bible, that this one person who was part of the covenant God was brought into slavery through the Midianites and then brought into Egypt. And now this person is leaving Egypt and leaving slavery and the oppression that's going on there and is returning to this place in Midian. It's like subtle language that's going in in the Bible. But if you're an ancient reader and you don't have like millions of Netflix and social media words going on in your head, you tend to pick up on these subtleties in a little bit different way. And you're saying to yourself, oh, the Midianites again we haven't heard them in a little bit. Something must be going on here. So the story is pulling itself together. There's this clear reality of the absence of God. And now we get to Moses all grown up. And now we get to the divine hum. And now we get to the holy discontent. Now we get to the place where in each and every one of us at different times, there's like this subtle feeling of change or transition There's this moment in each of us where we realize, I think there's more to life than the life that I'm actually living. How many of you have been there? Where you're doing your thing and you have your job or you're in that marriage or you're at that church and you hear God being talked about in a certain way. But underneath all of that, you think to yourself, I think there's just more to the story. And sorrow begins to build in you because maybe there's some type of absence of God that life is very existential at the moment or maybe it's angsty or maybe it's depression or maybe things just aren't working out for you quite well and something is disrupted. And there's a sorrow there because you feel some type of detachment from who God is. But really, maybe what you're feeling detached from is that if God is over all and in all and through all things, as Ephesians 4 says to us, then God is like the very being of life. And so we feel disconnected from God in life itself and all those things are deeply connected together. And we know that in this life we're living that there's something deeper going beyond and under the surface and we want to get to that thing. And so for me, I think that's what's going on with Moses here. I don't think you wake up one day and you walk outside and you say to yourself, I shall kill an Egyptian today. No, I think something's been brewing in you. Man, I'm an Egyptian. I grew up in Pharaoh's house. I kind of got some privilege. I kind of got some power, but I don't look like the other Egyptians, right? When I look outside, I see millions of people being oppressed and crying out and their lives aren't as good. And how do I live between these two worlds? How do I live with my power and how do I live with my privilege and how do I live with the fact that what if I didn't get picked up out of that water that day in that reed basket? Would I be one of these slaves too? These narratives start in us for all kinds of reasons. You just drove by that homeless person seven too many times. And now you begin to say to yourself, man, what if I could do more? You're at work and you see the way that everybody's treated and you think to yourself, is this really the nine to five that I want for all of eternity, right? You're in your family and you only go back at Thanksgiving and Christmas but every time you go to that table, you say, I regressed again. That's not who I am. I changed a long time ago, but every time I come back here, it's still the same thing. I always wanted to be an artist. I always wanted this relationship. I just thought there was gonna be more to my marriage. We all have the conversations in subtle ways, but it builds and it builds and it builds over time, and that's incredibly important. Now, here's some things that we need to think about with these stories and we talk about it here a lot at New Abbey, is that if you're gonna have this divine hum resonating within you, if there's this deeper reality that's trying to get out and make some movement and some action in the world, then something is probably happening for a while. And there's this language that is changing within you. Many of you have experienced that, right? You, we talk about it all the time in here in this way, from the moment that you decide that you wanna start working out till the moment you actually work out is generally a six month period right it takes a while for you to look in the mirror and say this belt doesn't fit the way that it used to or if i want better abs i may try a sit up right there's some things that have to start working together but it doesn't generally happen day 1 and then after a while and you've had enough conversations and you've scrolled through enough people's facebook feeds and you're like okay if I want to look like that, I might need to do this, you buy that gym membership with every intention on January 2nd of going every day. And we know that you do not, and that's okay. But you made an action step, or you signed up for the 5K, and you have those running shoes now so that when you do decide to go running, you have the opportunity if you really wanted to, right? And then so as this language shifts within you, for whatever it is, whatever that transition is that's going on inside of you, whatever change that you're experiencing, whatever brought about that disruption, that move inside you that says, you know what? I think if I move to New York, that's where my life's gonna get better, right? I think if I can just change jobs, that's gonna bring about the thing that I'm so interested in. I can't be in this church anymore because they continue to talk about women in this way. Pick your thing, we've all been there, and that thing begins to move within us, and we eventually have to take an action step, right, that says, okay, well, what's next as this divine hum is moving within me? Here's the crazy thing about our world, too. We live in 2017, so we have a lot more perspective and options than most people did throughout most of history. So, in church, at times, we, we, we do this every time we start New Abbey, right? We talk about the value of life. That as a human being, you're intrinsically valuable. It's nothing that you do. It's nothing that you don't do. That God sees you as made in God's image. Wonderful. Some of you, like, really live into those realities. We're all trying to, like, embrace that at times when we're feeling down about ourselves. But the intrinsic value that you have is not the same as the quality of life that you have. And so we may all agree that we're valuable, but we're not all living at an equal equality in life about how we actually go about our lives. And then the challenge of that is that we can look on a screen and we can see that somebody else is living another life. And in fact, I kind of want to live that life over there. And maybe that thing is a healthy divine hum within you, or maybe that thing is incredibly unhealthy, but it's still triggering something deeper within you that says a change needs to be made. A disruption is taking place here. Are you going to wis- listen well to this thing? So however the language is shifting inside of you, take note of that, right? Invite some better language in there to help you process these feelings of what's going on. Some of you have had this thing going on for years in your life, and you don't know how to like, let this disruption kind of like let itself flourish or bloom you need the therapist, you need the spiritual director, you need a community that can walk with you and say, yes, right, where's Brian, Brian, you need something like Be Free that says, guess what, I'm gay, yeah, that's what I am, and I can't wait to go live my life now because I've been holding this thing back for 10 years, right, um, and, and whatever that thing is for you, You need to allow that to take place and to happen. You need to take an action step that's going to move you in that direction. Because if you don't, here's what's going to happen. You're either going to act out in an unhealthy way. Killing an Egyptian man is a good example, right? Something has been building within me. I loved reading commentaries this week because people don't really know how to deal like, with the uncomfortable passages in the Bible. So they want to like smooth it over. Well, of course it was okay for Moses to kill somebody. You're like, no, that was a weird decision. That was a, I don't care if it's Moses or Paul whoever. You don't kill people. That's not a thing that you do. The dude was uptight for some real reasons, right? We get angry for some real reasons and we want to go act upon it. But he acted out in a way that wasn't healthy. And sometimes when we act out in these ways, you're going to press the domino. And once those dominoes start falling, there's no going back. So I I have conversations with people all the time. Like, I hate my job. I'm going to go move to France and start a farm. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting. Have you ever visited France? No. Well, let's start there, right? Maybe that's a better idea than selling all of your stuff and starting a farm. Have you ever farmed before? Well, I mean, I've... Been to a farmer's market? No, that's not the same thing, right? Go take some healthy, appropriate action steps. Don't kill the Egyptian and see, is this what the disruption is saying inside of me? And I hear it a lot in relationships. Oh, if I can just get over this person. I, the next relationship is where it's going to be healthy. Probably not, because wherever you go, there you are. And you might find somebody else, but they have their own unique baggage. But guess what? Your baggage is still. And maybe you got to work through some of that baggage before you go decide to jump off that cliff. However you need to make an action step, make some healthy ones. Listen well to the divine hum that's going within you. And then and only then, after you practice some of these things a few times, after you've been to like a year's worth of therapy, like two sessions, probably not enough, right? Um, you, you got to run. you got to like develop those abs. And that takes a little bit of work. Then you're going to have some new rhythms. And then, then when you look in the mirror, you are just have a different perspective of yourself. Even if you don't have the six pack, you'll say this. I've worked really hard this year. I just feel better about myself. I feel healthier. And that's what we need. Because for Moses, for all of us, the dominoes start falling. And that's a very real thing. Five years ago, I was working at a church and the church was going really well and we're at five services now. Now we're talking about multi-campus, which is now we're hitting the big time, come on, right? And I'm the second in command and I'm extremely young and I have all these opportunities ahead of me and they're grooming me to be the guy who takes over in five years. And I thought to myself, I'm pretty good. This is pretty nice. But the more that we had these conversations, the more I realized, oh, this feels like we're colonizing the world. This feels like we're asking the wrong questions. What's been disrupting deep within inside of me is that I'm curious about transformation, not how many campuses we can start. Yes, two more fog machines will do it, right? Um, I'm glad the fog machine got a little giggle there. I like that, yeah, this is not a joke. Lots of money gets spent on those things. And it's not evil in itself, but that's just not the questions that I wanted to ask. I feel like if this thing is worth something, if church is gonna be interesting, it's about real people's lives being transformed and not convincing more people to sit in something on a Sunday for a few hours. That might be important, but your life is bigger and beyond than what happens in these few hours. I knew that deep inside of me, and I had thousands of people showing up to listen to the thing that I wanted to do. But every time that we added another service or we thought about a multi-campus, I said, this is doing something for somebody, and that's me. But is this doing something for everyone else who's participating in it is a broader question. And then little moments of disruption started to happen in my life. And then there was Robbie Sortino, who I hadn't seen in six years. And he came to church, and he's a small Italian man who lives in Northwest Pasadena. And where he lives, he lives in a primarily African-American community, right between Bloods and Crips territory. And his house is a safe house, a house in which anyone can go to, whether you're Bloods or Crips, wherever. And everyone knows this is Robbie. He's like our dad. And so Robbie started bringing people to the church that I was working at. And he brought primarily young African-American men to come check out this church. The church was primarily white, middle class, right? And none of them lived in Northwest Pasadena. So he starts bringing these young men and none of them stuck. And eventually I asked the biggest dude who ever came. He's like 6'5", 250, right black dude. He's definitely sticking out in the context that he used to work at. Tell me your experience when you came today. And he said to me, everyone was really nice. And given enough time, I know that these people will invite me to lunch. But at the end of the day, no one will ever let me date their daughters. And that was one of the ends of the disruption for me. I don't care if we add 10,000 more services. I don't care how many people come. If we can't date one another's sons and daughters, if we don't live in that kind of unity, if we don't live with that kind of reconciliation, then we're all wasting our time. If the most intimate part of ourselves cannot be given away, then why do the thing? The disruption looks all kinds of different ways. And over the next year, I begin to make action steps. I began to say to myself, I wonder if there's another way. And eventually I took the crazy risk and I told the senior pastor and I told the elders that I know you've been grooming me to take over this thing, but I think I have another idea. And eight weeks later, I'm sitting in my living room with eight people and some brown shaggy carpet and I was terrified. I was in Midian and there was no going back, but God has had something to teach me in this time. In the previous season, I learned to do a bunch of things. And in the last four years, I've learned to become a different kind of person. And that's been incredibly important for me. Because about five years ago, I met a guy named Rob Bell and he's been a mentor of mine ever since. And I remember when I first met Rob, I said to him, I really think that you're gonna like, teach me to be like the great man. But interestingly enough, I tell him every time we have lunch, you taught me how to be a good man. And that's way more valuable. And you taught me to ask different questions. And it's not about the numbers, it's not about whatever. And those things can be great. But if it's not rooted in transformation, if it's not rooted in health, if it's not rooted in the actual story of Moses, which is for 40 years, he went into the desert, he hung out with the Midianites, but soon we're gonna see that God's gonna disrupt his life again and God's gonna bring him back to Egypt because that's how the story works. It was about God disrupting and changing and transitioning and Moses had to go where he was gonna bring everybody else because you can't give something that you don't have. And so after Moses experienced it for 40 years of his life, this is the crazy part. Now the 80-year-old Moses one day will go and stand back before Pharaoh. The dominoes fell how they fell. The disruption happened. The divine hum took place. But now Moses, 40 years later, in a little bit more maturity, he sees something that no one else ever saw before, and we'll get there in a few weeks. He saw the burning bush. And as the rabbis say, it wasn't that the bush started burning for the first time is that the bush was always burning and Moses finally had eyes to see it. And that's what we're doing. We need to listen well to the divine hum that's going on within us so that when we take some action steps and when we have some new rhythms in life, then all of us begin to say, there are some burning bushes here, my friends. Now let's go change the world. This is your only life. Jesus comes and says, I want this thing to be abundant. I want the eternal not to wait one day when you get on an elevator. I want the eternal to begin now. I want my kingdom, this ultimate reality that change and disrupts the systems of the world externally and the systems that go on within you internally to start changing how you see and how you have perspective and how you actually move your feet in the world. There's an invitation into this. Through the life of Moses and through the book of Exodus, we will actually see a people group geographically move, which is the Bible saying, you gotta get off your butts and you gotta participate in this game called life. If not, you live in the greatest culture in the world that will entertain you to death, I promise. You can always scroll deeper into your Facebook feed. But this thing is saying, when you hear the hum, when you feel the disruption, what's the next thing that you're gonna do? whether it's that job, whether it's that relationship, whether it's that church, whether it's that view of God, whatever it may be, allow that thing to get bigger and more interesting, and let's all go change the world together is where God's pushing us in the book of Exodus. So, let's have a conversation together. Where is your divine hum leading you to transition, change, or disrupt? Enjoy.